Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, you know this is a pretty, probably a, a, one of the most well-known passages in the Old Testament, the call of Isaiah to the ministry, the call of Isaiah to be a prophet. We uh, uh, hear this sermon a lot of times in missionary uh, emphasis when, uh, you know, Isaiah hears the word of the Lord, who shall I send? And Isaiah the prophet says, here am I, send me. And so this is a fairly familiar passage, uh, and we're going to, as our custom, kind of go slow and look at details that maybe we miss sometimes in the, uh, uh, you know, looking at the overall theme. And so, uh, so today we'll look at verse 1 and, uh, and, and, and kind of break it apart and look at the overall context, the historical context of, uh, of this calling Isaiah makes two statements in the year King Uzziah died, so we'll talk about that. And then the second statement is, I saw the Lord. And he modifies that statement by saying he was sitting on his throne, he was high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. So we're going to focus on those two statements. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And the literary context is kind of interesting. You know, we have already gone through five chapters of Isaiah's prophecy uh, three sermons, three different sermons that Isaiah preached. He preached uh, uh, a sermon in chapter 1, chapter 2, 3, and 4 was a message. And chapter 5, the parable of the vineyard and the message there. And so we've already studied three sermons that Isaiah preached. And then it, it's not till chapter 6 that we see his call to preach, his, uh, his call into the ministry. And so it uh, seems to me that Isaiah probably uh, began his work with, summary messages, uh, sermons that kind of captured the, the, the thrust of his ministry. And then he, in chapter 6, he tells us why we need to listen to him, <laughs> why, why what he is saying is important. So he kind of summarizes his ministry, his ministry, and then he recounts his call. We, li- we should listen to him because he has been called by the Lord, because he has seen the Lord, called by the Lord, and this speaking messages that he has received from the Lord, he is, in fact, God's prophet. And up to this point, we've seen kind of the, uh, the, the overall summary of his mission, uh, the exposure of sin. He is uh, bringing the sin of the people into the light uh, in a series of woes, in a series of parables, and in, uh, in his three sermons. He exposes their sin, brings it into the light, and then invites them to repent. He calls on them to repent, to be washed, to to come to the Lord, to return to the Lord in repentance and faith. And then then there's the lamentation over the calamity that will come as a result of their sin and their lack of repentance. He exposes their sin, calls them to repentance, but they harden their hearts. And as a result, calamity comes upon them and he laments uh, over that calamity. And then finally he describes that the Lord's judgment, that, that calamity that has come, is it a purifying judgment. It's not come upon them for their destruction, but for their purification. Uh, and out of that judgment will come a remnant of people through whom he will bring the Christ. And so that's kind of the summary of the message that we've seen in the first five chapters. Then in chapter 6, uh, we, we see Isaiah's call to the ministry. It's a passage we often turn to for hope and and encouragement. 
We're confronted with the holiness of God. Uh, we, we hear the prophet called. We hear the prophet uh, say, here am I, send me. We see his sin atoned for, and then uh, he goes out to preach. But also in chapter 6, we see that he is called to preach, but nobody's going to listen to him. <laughs> He's not going to have any converts. He's uh, not going to have a lot of people walk down the aisle. He's going to go and preach, and instead of repentance, there is going to be hardness. His preaching is not going to bring repentance. It's going to bring a hardening of their heart. And then the chapter ends with death, the death of a nation. The tree has been cut down, and only a stump remains. And so this passage that a lot of times we turn to for hope and encouragement as we focus on the holiness of God and see the call of his prophet actually begins with death and ends with death. It begins with the death of the king, and it ends with the death of the nation. And so this passage, this call of Isaiah, is bracketed by death. Death of, of Uzziah, and ultimately the death of the nation. And so uh, we're going to look at verse 1, two important statements. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so uh, let's talk about the, the year that King Uzziah died. And if you want to do some extra reading, the historical context of this is uh, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 25 and 26. I'll summarize that for you, but if you want to read for yourself and read in detail, if you want to do some homework, that's, uh, that's good. That's just where the, the historical context of this call, the year that King Uzziah died, is covered in. Um, so what period of biblical history are we in? The kings, yeah, the, the divided kingdom. All right, so this is the period of history, the divided kingdom. You remember after they came into the land, there was the period of the judges, and then there was the united kingdom, the monarchy, with Saul, David, and Solomon. And after the death of Solomon, the kingdom was divided. Israel in the north, also called Ephraim, uh, and we'll see that in a little bit, and, and Judah in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and Judah absorbs the tribe of Benjamin. So we have the nation of Judah in the south, two tribes, the nation of Israel in the north, ten tribes. And so this is during the time of the divided kingdom. Uh, of which kingdom was Uzziah? In the year King Uzziah died, which kingdom was Uzziah a king of? The south, yeah, Judah, that's right, he was a king of Judah, he was in fact the 11th king of Judah, and what, all the kings of the Judah, all the kings of Judah came from what line? The line of David, the tribe of Judah, the line of David, and so all the kings of Judah are descendants of David, uh, the, the, the descendants of David have stayed on the throne, Israel, the northern kingdom, just whoever, uh, who, uh, and the northern kingdom might makes right. Whoever is the strongest guy or the most popular guy gets put as king, or if he assassinates the other king, he installs himself as king. The northern kingdom, no sons of David, because that was actually the rebellion. They rebelled against the house of David. 
so in Judah we have, and so Uzziah is a descendant of David, and we'll actually see him in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of, of Jesus um, in the, the line of David. So, uh, so Uzziah, the 11th king of Judah, and the name Uzziah means the Lord has helped. And actually, King Uzziah was a source of, of great hope for the people. When he became king, there was, there was hopefulness. There was a, a, an anticipation. There was the thought that maybe he would, he would uh, improve things. If we just get the right king on the throne, things will get better. Things will be okay because his daddy, uh, Uzziah's dad, Amaziah, had left Jerusalem and Judah in a mess. And we see that in 2 Chronicles 25. Amaziah started off pretty good. He, uh, he, he rebuilt the army, rebuilt the military, and led the army of Judah in a war against the neighboring country of Edom. Where does Edom come from? Esau. So remember Jacob and Esau, enemies from, from the womb, <laughs> and then all the way till... Uh, the nation and Edom had always been a source of uh, uh, trouble for Judah, just harassment. They were unfriendly neighbors. There was always conflict between them. And so Amaziah rebuilt the military, led the army, and led them to a great victory over Edom. And Edom was a heavenly fortified nation. They, had lived, they lived in very rugged terrain that was easy to defend, difficult to attack. But Amaziah led the army of Judah to a great victory over Edom. And uh, Judah overtook Edom by storm. But that great victory had devastating results. Uh, two things really happened after the victory of Edom. And the first just really makes no sense. Amaziah, the king of Judah, the descendant of David, led the army to defeat Edom... And then after he defeated Edom, he took their gods and brought them back to Jerusalem. He took the gods of Edom and bowed down before them, burnt incense to them, worshipped them. And uh, God sent a prophet to Amaziah to tell him that that was stupid. <laughs> that that's, that that's, makes no sense. The gods of Edom weren't able to protect them. The God of Israel... Uh, the God of Judah led you in a great victory and these useless handmade gods that couldn't protect their people, you defeated their army and now you brought back their gods and you're worshiping them, burning incense to them, paying homage to them, bowing down before them. And the king refused to hear the prophet and the prophet foretold his downfall. Because you have worshiped the gods of Edom, because you have worshipped these false gods, you will be destroyed. And that prophecy was fulfilled as a result of the second disaster uh, out, of the, out of that victory. Now when Amaziah was building up the military before the war with Edom, he kind of sent out, he put an ad, he put out an ad that he was looking for soldiers. <laughs> you know, we're going to go, we're going to go to war, we need some soldiers to come and fight, and you come and fight and we will pay you. And so there were a lot of men from Israel that wanted to come and fight for pay. What do we call them? Mercenaries. <laughs> so these mercenaries come from Israel. 
join the army of Judah. Judah promises, if you go to war with us, we'll pay you. And uh, while that was happening, a man of God came to Amaziah, the king, and warned him. This is before the war. And, uh, you know, after the war, he didn't listen to the man of God and kept bowing down to the gods of Edom, told him he'd be destroyed. But before the war, the man of God comes and, and tells Amaziah uh, that the Lord was not with Israel and the Lord is not with any son of Ephraim. And uh, you remember Ephraim was the younger son of Joseph. And when Jacob blessed the sons of Jacob, he, he crossed his arms, he blessed Ephraim over Manasseh, and Ephraim becomes the key tribe of the northern kingdom and so sometimes you will hear the northern kingdom called Ephraim instead of Israel and so the prophet comes and says uh, uses that parallelism God is not with Israel he's not with any son of Ephraim and the uh, the king listened to the man of God and sent the mercenaries home all right uh, we're not going to go to battle with these men from Israel you guys just go home. So they had come down from their country, joined the army, expecting to get paid, and now they got discharged and weren't going to get their pay. They weren't happy about it. <laughs> and they're mercenaries. So on the way back to Israel, they attack a bunch of villages in Judah and loot villages, loot cities, and anybody who tried to defend their property, they killed them. So these men go back to Jerusalem, but on the way they're looting and and, uh, and, and, and uh, killing people, attacking people from Judah on their way back to Israel. So after the war, they won this great victory, and uh, the king, Amaziah, turns his eye on his neighbor to the north, Israel, and he decides to go to war with them to get vengeance on what their soldiers had done after they'd been discharged. So we've beaten Edom, We've won this victory. The prophets told me that I'm going to be taken down, but I'm going to go, and I've got the political will, the people on my side. We're going to go to war with Israel, and we're going to take vengeance on those people who looted our villages and killed our citizens. And so he challenges the king of Israel. The king of Israel warned him not to be proud because of his victory over Edom. He told him to stay home and not invite trouble. And Judah, as Amaziah did not listen, and Judah went to war against Israel and was soundly defeated. And the Chronicles tells us that that was from the Lord. The king did not listen. He attacked Israel. Israel, who the man of God had said, he's not with Israel or the people of Ephraim, but because you bowed down to the God of, gods of Edom, you're going to be defeated by Israel and you're actually going to be put to death by them. So this was from the Lord because they had worshipped the gods of Edom. And so Judah was soundly defeated. Amaziah himself was captured and taken back to Jerusalem in disgrace, in captivity. They took him captive. They took him back to Israel. They took all the treasures from his household. I mean, they took him back to Jerusalem. And they took all the treasures of his household to Israel. And so basically, the king lives another 15 years, but he lives in disgrace, in defeat. Uh, it's, uh, you know, he, the, the king of Israel broke down a part of the walls of Jerusalem, took the treasure from Amaziah's house, and Amaziah remained king, but he lived out the rest of his reign kind of in seclusion and disgrace. Pretty much stayed in his basement, 
and the kingdom drifted into disorder and continued its drift away from the Lord. Almost like what happened in Judges. You know, this king is not effective. And remember in Judges, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Well, now there's a king in Israel, but he's ineffective. And everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. So they're drifting farther and farther away from the Lord. So for these 15 years, the nation just spirals. No real leadership. And there is... uh, um, you know, just a drifting away from the Lord. And after, uh, after 15 years, the people of Jerusalem want to remove Amaziah from office. Because of his ineffectiveness, because of the decline of the kingdom, the people decide they're going to rebel and revolt because Uzziah has just turned 16 years old. And 16 years old was the age at which he could become king. So now Uzziah, Amaziah's son, is 16. And so the people of Judah decide they are going to conspire against Amaziah. They are going to kill him. They they form a conspiracy. Amaziah hears about the conspiracy. He flees the city. The conspirators chase him down, and they assassinate him. So the king is assassinated, killed by his own people because... They want Uzziah to be their king. He's 16, and they, uh, they gladly install Uzziah as the king. They place great hope in Uzziah. The kingdom had been in decline. They effectively had no leadership. Things had been bad for a long time. And they hoped that Uzziah would turn things around. They hoped that the right king on the throne, then things will get better. The the kingdom will improve. And maybe Uzziah would provide the leadership that they need. Maybe Uzziah was the son of David that would restore the kingdom to greatness. And so there is much hope, much expectation when Uzziah becomes king. Um, and so, uh, so there's all this hope. And then we can read the details of Uzziah's range and reign in 2 Corinthians 26. And again, things start out pretty good. Uzziah rebuilds the military. They subdue the traditional enemies. The, in the 15 years that Amaziah was in his basement, the Edomites kind of rebuilt. Uzziah subdues them. He subdues the Philistines, the traditional enemies on the other border, the western border of Israel. He subdued the Ammonites. And and Judah, under the leadership of Uzziah, did grow exceedingly strong. In fact, the boundaries grew out. It was a time of peace and prosperity. Their enemies were, uh, you know, there was peace through strength. They fortified the cities on the, uh, uh, the frontier, secured their borders, fortified Jerusalem, and it was a time of peace and prosperity. And the nation grew to prosperity that it had not experienced since the days of Solomon. And so again, this this hope. Maybe this is the son of David that will restore prosperity and peace and goodness to the kingdom, to Jerusalem. 
And so uh, Uzziah starts out good, just like Amaziah did. But because things were so and going so good, because he had consolidated the power, because the nation was prosperous, Uzziah grew proud. He grew proud. And, and perhaps in a desire to be a king, to be like the kings in his neighboring countries, he decided that he would not only per perform the roles of the king, not only the duties of the king, but he decided that he would also perform the role of priest. He would not just perform the role of the head of state, but he would also perform the role of the priest. And he decided, you know, in, in other kingdoms, in the other kingdoms, our neighboring kingdoms, the head of the state was also the head of the religion. The, the king was also the, the high priest and other nations. But God had put in a system of checks and balances, a division of power. God instituted uh, different roles. There was the king, the head of state, who had royal responsibilities, and the priest was over the religious activity of the country and the priest would hold the king accountable no person was allowed to to have all power the king would rule over the state the priest would rule over the the religious functions and they would be a source of of, of balance there would not be all power given into the hand of any one person and then you throw in the third office of the prophet and so god in the Old Testament Israel, Old Testament Jerusalem, there were three offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king, and they had different responsibility, different duties to keep the power from being consolidated into the hand of one person. And so the king had certain responsibilities, the priest had certain responsibilities, and, you, and Uzziah decided that he would not only perform his royal duties, but that he would perform the role of the priest. He determined to go into the holy place and burn incense before the Lord, a task that only the priest could perform. He wasn't even supposed to go into the holy place because that was for the priest. And the king determined that he would not only perform his duties as king, but he would also perform the duties as priest. And we're told in Chronicles that the high priest and 80 of the priests tried to stop him. They warned him. They told him he was not permitted to do that. That he had become proud because of their prosperity. And Uzziah was, became angry with them, ignored the high priest, ignored the 80 priests, and he went into the temple, burnt incense in the holy place, and as an act of judgment, God struck him with leprosy. And so... The king now is a leper, he is unclean, he is cast out of the temple, he is cast out of the city, and he has to go and live again in disgrace. And he goes, much like his dad, it's like, uh, how long, 15, 15 years. Driven from his palace, driven from the city, and live the rest of his life in seclusion. And so once again, the nation is without leadership. And his son Jotham, uh, a young boy, uh, 
is, is head over the household, but really there is no king. And so again, without leadership, the nation drifted further and further into sin, further and further away from God. There was no real king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And Isaiah exposes a lot of that sin in the, uh, chapter 5, the woes, the things that we talked about as we went through. Such hope. The, the kingdom had been such a mess. They assassinated his father in the hope that he would be a good king, that he would provide the leadership that they needed, that he would restore the kingdom to his glory, that he would lead them in righteousness and justice. It started out so well, but it ended in disappointment and disgrace and discouragement. His pride had led to his downfall, and his downfall had led to the drifting of the nation farther and farther away from God. And so, when Isaiah says, in the year King Uzziah died, that's all the background. They, they installed him with such hope, but his pride had led to his downfall. He'd lived in exile, and now he was dead. And so, Isaiah in the year King Uzziah died, the one whom they placed so much hope had been so disappointing, he was dead. And so that's the first statement. In the year King Uzziah died, and then the second statement, I saw the Lord. Uzziah had, they, they had hoped that he was a, another David. Another Solomon, perhaps he's the one to restore glory to Jerusalem. But he became proud and his tragic decline was reflected in the nation that he led. But in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. The king is dead. The throne in Jerusalem is empty, has been empty, has been unoccupied while the king lived as a leper. But Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Isaiah saw the throne that will never be unoccupied and he saw seated on it the king who will never die. Uzziah had failed, Uzziah had died, but God is there and God is on his throne. God reigns while the human leaders come and go. He is sovereign over heaven and earth, and his glory fills the earth. Uzziah is dead, God is alive. And the one who they placed their hopes had been so disappointing, Isaiah sees the one in whom we should place our hope, the Lord, seated on a throne, high and lifted up, with a train of his robe filling the temple. You know, uh, Sometimes we can be like the people of Judah. Well, if we just had the right leader, if we just had the right man in the White House, if we just had the right party in charge of Congress, if we just had the right justices on the Supreme Court, the right people who are in charge, if we could just get rid of that guy that's currently in power and get somebody else, everything will be good. And we can look to the next ruler and believe that the next ruler is the one that will restore our nation to its former greatness. 
We put our trust in government. We put our trust in human leadership. We look to government to do for us what ultimately only God can do. We have a tendency to, to maybe compartmentalize our lives. You know, we, we trust God with the, light to, the, the life to come, but we need uh, the right human leader for this life. And we can look to humans to do what they cannot do. And, and, and when we do that, inevitably we are disappointed. As good as any human leader might be, he's still a human leader. And uh, presidents come and go. But through it all, God is on the throne. Kings come and go, God is on the throne. Presidents come and go, but God is on the throne. Human leaders come and go, but God is on the throne. High and lifted up, his glory fills the earth. Let us not look to human leaders for our salvation, let us look to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We, like Amaziah, bow down to gods who have proven they can't save. And why do you think, you know, this, this separation of power, why do you think that God made this separation of powers between the king and the priest? Yeah. <laughs> Because of depravity, that's right, human depravity. Every single human, no matter how good they are, every single human is a sinner. And so the depravity of man, if, if the king had all power, if the king had civil power and religious power, chances are in his pride, he would set himself up as the one to be worshipped, which we see throughout human history. If the king had all power... It's highly likely he would allow himself or even cause himself to become the object of worship. If the people look and they see him having all power, even though maybe he's not inviting that, the people may, may seem to, to worship the king and to put their hope and confidence in the king because he's ruling over both the religious and the civil part of the... Of the, of the and, and so power concentrated in the hands of one person is just inviting for abuse. Um, and so God separated the powers as a system of checks and balances. The priest would hold the king to account. The high priest tried to tell Uzziah, don't do that. That's not wise. It's a violation. You're asking for it. You're inviting trouble. 80 of the priests try to hold the king accountable. Because of that separation of powers. This is our responsibility. You stay over here. You stay in your lane. We'll do our lane. And we'll be a check on each other. We're not going to allow the power to be concentrated into the hands of one person. Because all people are sinful. And then you add the prophet to the mix. The, the prophet comes and tell the, tells the king. Don't bow down to the, the sons of Adam. Eat them. Don't go to war with Israel. So you have... The power separated among these three offices, the prophet, priest, and king, because of the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man. And so God, in his wisdom, separated the powers as a system of checks and balances. And even, we see, and the humans even messed that up, <laughs> but uh, uh, such is their depravity. But now... 
Now, those offices have been combined in one person. There's one person that is prophet, priest, and king. One person, the word of God, made incarnate to come and perfectly reveal God to us. The word of God, the prophet, speaking without error and perfectly the word of God. And that same man, the word of God who became flesh, is high priest. He made the once and for all sacrifice for sin. He took his own blood into the heavenly holy of holies, uh, made atonement for sin, and then sat down at the right hand of the, power, the, 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 the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for us. This, the, these things are written that we may not sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a great high priest. The same man who was the word of God become flesh. Those two offices combined, prophet and priest in one man. And not only is he prophet and priest, but he is king. Seated at the right hand of the Father, all things put under his feet. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And so in the Old Testament, those offices were divided. Because of the depravity of man to keep power from being concentrated in one hand, God set up three distinct offices, prophet, priest, and king. But in the New Testament, those offices are combined in one man. And that can be done because that one man is perfect. That one man is sinless. The sinless Son of God, the Word of God become flesh, the sinless Son of God who offered the once and for all sacrifice for sins has been raised from the dead, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And the perfect Son of God, who reigns in truth and righteousness at the right hand of the Father, seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and whose glory fills the earth. And so, in the Old Testament, three offices, prophet, priest, and king, and oh, such hope. Maybe this is the son of David that will restore the kingdom to its prosperity and to its power and its glory. Put so much hope in that king. But in the year King Uzziah died, he's not the one. They're still looking for another king. They're still looking for that greater son of David who will restore all things. And in the New Testament... We meet that greater son of David, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, prophet, priest, and king, united in one perfect man, the God-man. God the Son, the Son of God, become man in Jesus Christ. Perfectly revealing God and God's will to us, interceding for us, making the once-for-all sacrifice for us and interceding for us and ruling over all things by his majesty and his grace. And so, let us not look to human leaders for our hope and help. Let us look to the King of kings and Lord of lords for the source of our help and our hope. Right, questions about Isaiah 6.1?
All right. The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, says the prophet. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and we're thankful for the truth of it and we're thankful for the unity of it. And Lord, how you show us our need through your word, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness, showing us our need, and then showing us the Savior. Lord, all the prophets, all the priests, all the kings in the Old Covenant didn't bring all that was needed. And Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus, who perfectly reveals your will, made that once for all perfect sacrifice, lives to make intercession for us, and rules and reigns over his people, and will return and establish his kingdom, bring his kingdom to fulfillment, and reign in truth and righteousness forever and ever. Lord, may we praise the Lord Jesus Christ, and may we look to him and him alone as the source of our help and our hope. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.